One in Christ is the title of today's message. Christ died to make us one. And I suspect that without some background understanding of the text and what that means, that's uh, probably about as exciting as watching the paint dry. Isn't it? I, mean, I think there's a lot of things in the Bible that we kind of throw out and they don't really have any impact because we don't understand what the need is. You know, if I said to you today, have great news at the end of the service, we've got a medical doctor here and we're going to set all of your broken arms. Everybody would say, well, my arm's not broken. That's not, that's not good news if you're going to solve a problem that I, don't, that I don't have. And I believe that the Bible speaks to many problems that we have, but the problem is that we often don't stop and read the whole Bible and understand what exactly it's talking about, the problem that it's trying to solve, the issue that it's trying to address in our lives. And so when you think about this message in Ephesians that we're looking at today of being brought together as one in Christ, I think we have to go back to the whole Bible to really get some understanding here of why this is such good news and why it was absolutely necessary and needed. The Bible tells us that we were all, we were all created by God. And that's pretty exciting news. In a time when people are lonely and frustrated, it's awfully encouraging to know that we were not random. God created us, and he created us in his own image. And we see two people that God created, Adam and Eve, in just, just perfect harmony. They're in harmony with each other. They're in harmony with God. They're in harmony with creation. Wouldn't it be nice if that was the state of the world today? But it's not. It's not. Because we know something happened. They rebelled against God, sinned against God, and everything changed. Theologians call that the fall, when the world fell from its original state of creation. And the story of the Bible is about God undoing Everything that happened in that moment. We have one book, Genesis, and in the first three chapters, we have a description of how things were and how things got to be the way they are today. And the rest of the Bible is about God restoring and recreating. And if we look in the Bible, I think we see that the disunity, separation, conflict, all these things were not part of God's original design, but they came about as man rebelled against God and pursued something else. Something, by the way, that Satan promised to be greater and better, but we, we see how that worked out, didn't we? And so throughout the Bible, we see God working to undo what was done in the fall. Separation is a result of sin. If we think about in the early part of Genesis, the Tower of Babel instance, the Bible says they got together and, and in their pride and arrogance, they said, we're going we're to build a tower, reach the heavens. And they said, come on, let's work together lest we be scattered across the face of the earth. And, and the irony is the very thing that they were seeking to Stop is the very thing that God did. He gave them different languages. They would 
develop into different tribes and people groups, and they would become scattered all across the world. And so today we have different nations, different languages, different people groups. And here's what the Bible says in Revelation. In Revelation, it gives us an indication of what is to come. And it says, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. It's talking about Jesus. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God. But, but listen to where the people were ransomed from. From every tribe and nation and people and language. So sin created division. Sin caused man to be separated into all these different people groups in which they wouldn't be allowed to communicate because, as demonstrated time and time again, when allowed to work together, they simply work together to create more sin, more arrogance, more defiance against God. In verse 10 it says, And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, that they shall reign on the earth. Revelation describes a time when everything that we see in the first part of the Bible there is completely undone. All the harm is undone. All the destruction is undone. And part of that means that people that were, that were separated, people that were, became different nations, different people groups, different languages, couldn't understand one another, couldn't work together. In Revelation, it says that Jesus by his blood, ransomed, ransomed the people. And not just ransomed them individually, but verse 10, made them into a kingdom, not many kingdoms. The result of sin was many nations, but the result of Christ's sacrifice was one kingdom and priests to our God. So I want you to understand today as we, as we look at a passage in which Paul talks about division. Division between Gentiles and Jews. People who received the promise and people who heard about the promise. And he speaks about how Christ has now brought them together. And I want you to understand that God is doing something in the world. He's doing something throughout the course of history. It's greater than our nation. It's bigger than our language. And it's far more significant than our own lifetime. Jesus is making the many who are scattered back into one. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11 is where we'll be at today. I want to ask you, would you just join me in standing as we read this together? Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated. Notice that word. That's this key word. Separated from Christ. Alienated. Key word. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, notice that, made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both, both, meaning Jews and Gentiles, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built, listen to this, together, together, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, help us to understand this, this ancient text and its timeless meaning and application. Give us insight into the division between Jews and Gentiles and help us understand what it means for us today as we seek to be transformed into a kingdom, your kingdom. And the priests, your priests. Lord, help us to understand this and to respond in faith today. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Through Christ, people from every nation can have hope in God. That's one of the things the Bible is teaching us here. Is that through Christ, people from every nation can have hope in God. Now, before Christ, Jews... And Gentiles were separate. That's what it means to be a Gentile. If you're not sure what that word means, a Gentile is someone who's not a Jew. So if the classifications are Jews and non-Jews, everybody fits in one or the other. So today, unless you trace your lineage back to Abraham, you're a Gentile. And yet God brought this people together. The Jews gave them a message and called them to be a light to the world. And Paul is describing here how Christ has brought them all together. In verse 11, it begins to diagnose the problem for us. It says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. This was a predominantly Gentile church. And so he's not writing to, to Jews, Christians, but he's writing to Gentiles who heard the gospel and believed. And he says, therefore, remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh. Now, whenever you uh, read a word, it's very important to pay attention to how the author is using the word. And words have different meanings. They can be used in different ways. In fact, we can use the same word in different ways, even in a short uh, paragraph or sometimes even in a single sentence to intentionally make a little play on words. 
And in the Bible, New Testament, flesh normally, almost always, is metaphorical for the sinful nature. When the Bible speaks about the flesh in the New Testament, it's rarely talking about our, our skin. But there's a little play on words here. And so we want to pay attention when Paul uses this word in Ephesians. Because God had given the Jews a distinguishing mark. It, 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 it doesn't seem like a distinguishing mark to us today because almost everybody today is circumcised. But at the time when God called his people, he gave them this distinctive mark. And so there's a little play on words here between flesh, sinful nature, which he's talked about earlier when he said they were dead in their trespasses and sins, and walking according to the flesh, so sinful nature, and then circumcision and uncircumcision. And the reason is because the Jews were circumcised and the Gentiles were not. And there arose this great controversy in the early church as they were trying to figure out what it really meant to follow Jesus. And different groups came up with different ideas. And one group said, well, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised hope to all the Jews. And that's absolutely true and correct. But then they took it a step too far and they said, so therefore, if someone's going to become a Christian, they need to first become a Jew. And we call that group the, the Judaizers, and you can read about that in the book of Acts. And so there becomes this great division over the circumcised and, and the uncircumcised. So, so we can just understand it like this. There, there's two groups, Jews and non-group Jews. And there's a great, great division. Well, verse 12, notice what it says. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Now, now these people that he's writing to have been saved. They've accepted Christ. But he's asking them to remember before that, to look back. In, in the previous verses that we looked at, he talks about that you were dead in your trespasses and sin but god made you alive so we're looking back now he says remember so we're looking back to their previous state he says that you were at that time separated from christ separated from christ so so they weren't just separated from the jews they were separated from christ because you see sin always separates always it always brings separation Sin destroys fellowship. Sin brings great tension in relationship. And when it comes to us and God, he is righteous and holy and perfect and just. And so when we live in a life of sin and rebellion, it by nature separates us from him. And so the Bible says that these people, that they were separated from Christ and they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, what's significant about that is because Israel were the ones that God gave the promises to. They were the ones that God gave the promises to. And so recently we saw, for example, in, in England, we saw a, a change in the monarchy as Queen Elizabeth passed and her son becomes king. As far as I know, uh, nobody in this room was in line for that throne, right? Uh, he's worth, uh, I, I, I forget the number I saw, but he has amassed a, a, a great fortune. 
none of us are in line to inherit any of that that, that I know of. I mean, if, if you are, let me know how that works, how you got in as an American. I don't, I don't know. We're not, we're not part of that family. We're not part of that people. We're, we're, we're completely separate on our own. And so uh, the idea of this royal lineage, we're, we're not part of it. We don't have any access to the wealth. We're not entitled to anything. And so it is, Paul says to the Gentiles, he said, God made this, this great promise. And there was this great inheritance. But you were not part of it. You were not part of it. You were alienated from, from Israel. But Christ has brought you together. So why would he do that? Because his plan was always for us to be together. It was sin that created separation, not God's original design. And so the blood of Christ, it brings us together as people. I don't mean as individuals, but I mean as, as peoples, as people groups from all over the world. But now, verse 13, but now in Christ, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And the, the first word in verse 13 is but. And that's an incredibly significant word in the Bible, especially in the letters, but also in the stories, because it almost always signals contrast, and typically it signals good news coming in contrast to bad. So in the previous verses, he said, said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, but God made you alive in Christ. He said, you were once you were, you were alienated. You were separated from Christ and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. But now, but now, their present state contrasts their previous state. The Bible loves contrasts. In fact, in the book of Revelation, Revelation 21 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It talks about this what God showed John, and it said, speaking about a future time that we've not yet received, it says, and the former things have passed away. When we look around the world, uh, there's some things that I'm ready for them to become former things, aren't you? And so the Bible says here that they were once alienated and separated, but now in Christ, those who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So it's only through Christ that people from every nation can be reconciled together with God. It's only through Christ. The Bible says in verse 14, for he, speaking about Jesus, he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It's the person, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He is our peace. Peace about what? Peace with God. Peace with God. Peace with God's people. It all comes about through, through Christ. And he is, the, he is the only way. And the Bible says here in the second part of this verse, has broken down in his flesh. 
So, so notice, again, we, we've got this whole play on the word. First, he was talking about sinful nature, and then he was talking about the mark of circumcision. And now he talks about Christ's flesh. He's talking about the suffering that Christ bore on the cross. Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 6, he would speak about this suffering and prophesy in advance. And he says, but he, talking about Jesus, and I'm reading from the Old Testament, by the way, hundreds of years before this happened. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced. They, they put nails to his hands and his feet. They nailed him to a cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The Bible says all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Notice that that's universal. It doesn't matter what people, doesn't matter what language, doesn't matter what tribe, doesn't matter what nation, it doesn't matter what time. You can be born in any era, no matter how sophisticated you think we've become. The Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you're not sure, transgressions, iniquities, they're all different words to describe sin. Sin is multifaceted. It's not just one simple concept. And so there's many words throughout the Bible for sin. And so the Bible says here that he laid the iniquities of us all on him so that he becomes our peace. The separation that was brought because of sin. Separation that would cause nations to war against nations. Jesus made it possible for us to come together as one kingdom and as one group of priests. You see, God's plan was to build one people. So verse 15, it speaks about the law. And it says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, so listen to this, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. One new man in the place of two. It's not talking about an individual, but it's talking about people. That instead of there being Jews and Gentiles, there would just be one kingdom, one people brought together and all this is possible only through christ he made one church possible through his death on the cross and so verse 16 says and might reconcile us both to god in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility you see god's plan was to undo everything that was done in the fall all the division, all the hostility between us and him, between us and others, that God would bring us together to be one people, one body. The Jews may be God's special people, but only because he called them for a special purpose. God meant for all of us to have access to him. And it all was made possible 
through what Jesus did on the cross. And so in Romans chapter 6, it would speak about this unity. In Romans 6, 4, it says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Well, at baptism, we often quote that passage. And this passage is one of the most well-remembered from Romans. But we need to read one more verse. The next verse says, For if we have been united, united. Remember Paul's writing in Ephesians about they were separated, they were alienated. But now it says, For if we have been united, united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, for all the diversity that there is in the world, we all have one problem. We've sinned and are separated from God. For all the diversity there is in the world, there's only one solution, Jesus Christ. It's only through what Jesus did on the cross that we can be brought together and have access to God. And so through Christ, believers share one spirit and are built together into one temple. There's only one way to access to the Father, and that's through Jesus in one Holy Spirit. So all around the world, people are seeking, trying to discover how to get to God. And in many different religions, they believe that there are many different paths, many different paths to God. In fact, some of the world religions today would fully embrace at least their understanding of Christianity. And no problem with being Christians. After all, there are many paths to God, they would say. Many paths to God. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, it says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. That's a reference to the Gentiles. And peace to those who were near. That's a reference to the Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The Bible teaches us here that the only way to have access to the Father is through Jesus. And it's the same for everybody. God called Abraham, and he told him that through him all peoples would be blessed. God raised up Moses. And he gave them the law. He raised up David and he established a kingdom. But all this was only pointing to what would culminate in the incarnation of Christ as God became flesh and did what none of us have been able to do. He lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross in order to pay a penalty that we owed 
so that we might receive a gift that we did not pay for. And there is no other way to come to the Father except through him. You don't have to be born a descendant of Abraham to receive the promise. You don't have to be wealthy or intelligent. You don't have to be born in a first world country. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Sin can separate us from everyone, including God, but there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And today, if we were just to surrender our life to him and join him in what he's doing in the world, he would build us together into one kingdom. Oh, I know there's still disagreements and we have different denominations and we have different understandings because we're not yet fully received everything that God is going to do in our life. But one day, all those that are his will be brought together into one kingdom. So listen to what he says in verse 19. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Notice, fellow citizens. We're all in this together. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Being built on the foundation of the apostles, there's those New Testament leaders, and prophets, there's those Old Testament leaders, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. If we are saved, then we're being built into one household of God. The temple was the dwelling place of God. The temple was the point of access to God. And the Bible says that Jesus is the temple. And you and I are being built in the temple. So what does that mean? It, it means that God wants to make us all one together, serving him as a kingdom of priests. The Lord Jesus is building us into a dwelling place for God. So verse 22, he says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So most of us today, we, we hear that, that we can be saved this way. We think, Pastor, we, we already knew this. We already knew this. But today there's, there's much that we take for granted. The Gentiles in the first century didn't fully understand it. That's why Paul had to write this letter. That they might realize that the promise is for everyone. It's for every people. It's for every nation. It's for every tribe. It's for every skin tone. It's for everybody. And there aren't different ways to get to God. There's only one way. And there aren't different kingdoms, not under the lordship of Christ. There's only one. And so, though we may be extremely diverse, we look different. We speak different languages. We have different lineage. We can't understand each other's culture. There's so much division in the world. Yet we all have the same problem. And God offers us all the same solution 
and he wants to build us all into one people that one day we might be part of what John saw in a vision when he said, I saw a great multitude, too many to count, he said. And there was people. There was people from every nation, from every tribe, from every language. And they were all together. Because the one whom John said looked like a lamb who had been slain, reference to what he did on the cross as he laid himself down as a sacrifice for the world. He brought all these people and redeemed them to be one kingdom. Because the Bible doesn't say that God so loved America, that God so loved modern thinkers. It doesn't say God so loved white people. It doesn't say God so loved the Jews. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is God's plan to bring us all back to this original state in which he created. Peace with him and peace with each other. Let's pray together. Father, help us to understand how this 2,000-year-old division relates to us today. God, we, we thank you that you revealed to us what you're doing in the world. Help us to believe in your Son and to put our faith and our trust in him. That one day we might be part of that great multitude that John saw standing, singing, kneeling, falling out on her face, prostrate before the throne singing holy, holy, holy. God, give us a heart to believe. Give us a heart to embrace other brothers and sisters. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you today for just a moment before we leave this room, just to really reflect on who you are and where you're at with God. You know, in the first century, they had this division, which is kind of foreign to us today. Probably nobody in here walked in here thinking, well, I'm not a Jew. I wonder if they'll accept me. That's not a modern problem that we have today. And yet the Bible says that we still all have the same issue, that we've sinned against God and we're alienated. We're separated because of that sin. The beautiful and encouraging news is that the Bible says that even in our sin, God loved us and sent his son. And if we'll believe and trust in him, he'll bring us into his kingdom. You can't get into the Great Britain's kingdom. You can't be part of that lineage. You have to be born into it. But God's kingdom is different. God's kingdom, you get adopted into it. You get adopted into it when you're born again spiritually. So those of us who were once far off are brought near 
those who were once dead in trespasses and sins can be made alive. And those who were once walking in darkness can now walk in the light. This is the invitation that God gives, that we might receive this as a gift. And so today, if you've, if you've never received God's gracious invitation to forgive you of your sin and give you the gift of eternal life, I want to invite you to pray. The Bible gives us this promise. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. To call on the Lord means to pray to him. You say, Pastor, I, I, I'd really like to do that, but I don't know how to pray. I, I'm going to be here as we sing at the front of the sanctuary. If you were to just step out from your seat and walk up to me, I'd be glad to pray with you answer your questions to the best of my ability and help you make whatever decision you need to make to trust God and receive this gift. Now, I suspect that most of us that got up early on a Sunday morning to be here, we've probably already made this decision and we've probably already trusted Christ. So I would ask you today to search your heart. Is there anything that God has revealed to you through his word that's inconsistent with what you think, what you're doing, and who you are? And if it is, that's called sin, and we need to repent of it. That's change so that we might move one step closer to being transformed into the image of his son. So, friend, however you need to respond to God's word today, we're going to sing a song to give you time to do that. So let's stand together as we sing. Mm -hmm.